is huge. I mean, it's like a man. It, it's big. Kane, son. You still don't understand what you're dealing with, do you? Perfect organism. Just tell me one thing, Burke. You're going out there to destroy them, right? Not to study. Not to bring back. But to wipe them out. That's the plan. You have my word on it. All right, I'm in. Let's rock! Look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Welcome to Perfect Organism, the Alien Saga podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host, Christian Motzka. How are you doing, Christian? I'm doing wonderful. This is a special treat for Alien Day here. And we are joined by Joshua Izzo, who, as we're going to learn, is the other founder of Alien Day. Last year, we, we interviewed Alaric Khan, who held an unofficial event on, in 2015 on Alien Day. But it was the following year that it became an official event. And so we're here to set this record straight and to you know, get, the, get the real story from the man himself. So Joshua, welcome to uh, Perfect Organism. Hey, uh, gang! Thank you, uh, thank you so sincerely for having me. This is really exciting. Glad I could, uh, glad I could be on the show. So, how did it start from your point of view? Wow, that's uh, how many how many minutes do we have for this story? Uh, no, so way back in the olden days, I was working at 20th Century Fox, and around 2014, 2015, at that time, uh, I was managing uh, the global publishing division for 20th. So all, um, you know, every intellectual property that 20th had, I was managing all of the derivative content. Uh, so that was everything, including but not limited to Ice Age, Rio, uh, Edward Scissorhands, Big Trouble in Little China, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the Whedonverse. But that also included the, uh, the kind of alien universe. Um, and at the time, uh, we had sort of kind of lumped, it was sort of lumped together in, in a larger in the larger franchise world. So you had the alien franchise, you had the predator franchise, and then you had the AVP franchise. Um, and at that time, Prometheus had already come out. Uh, Covenant had not. So you had Prometheus as well, which was the kind of unofficial slash wink official prequel to the alien franchise. Um, so all of those were kind of put together in one large story world. I was working with my partners at Dark Horse on the Fire and Stone program. And I don't know if uh, your listeners are familiar with Fire and Stone, but it was essentially an entire multi-brand comic book story that tied Prometheus, Alien, Predator, and AVP together into that one shared universe. That was essentially the, the kind of rebooting MCU starting point for an all-new fictional core timeline that I was building for those franchises. Now, at Fox at the time, there was nothing that would be considered a franchise or a brand team. There was no one in that at the role at Fox that you would think of as someone that would be the overarching kind of story group 
that kept all of the various threads together and made sure that all of those things made sense. And that person couldn't be over there at that time because they happened to be in cryo, what have you. That unofficial role kind of became me as sort of the editorial lore keeper of the Alien franchise and the Predator franchise and the AVP franchise. I took on that role. And so between Titan Books, Insight Editions, Dark Horse, et cetera, I was putting together this kind of new canon of the alien world. So that was laying the foundation for this new story universe and this new world and ramping up uh, the new cadence of what was going to become the larger alien storytelling universe. Um, Along the way, I also took on the role of, um, I, I started managing the global collectibles business as well. So all of the all of the alien stuff fell under my remit as well, um, and also fine art. So I ended up managing Mondo. I ended up managing NECA and Funko and Bandai and Kotobukiya and Sideshow and Prime One. It, you name it. All of the kind of everything and everything within the alien verse was kind of sitting in one particular place. That could be looked at, managed, and overseen in one particular, in one large calendarized way. Book A comes out at this time, comic book B, action figure C, how do these things talk to one another uh, from a collector standpoint or a retail standpoint? We were looking at, I was looking at this from a much kind of 40,000 feet up. At that time, 20th had all these great brands that we were working on, but there was certain amounts of time where things either popped from a theatrical perspective, and then you went back into what we would consider to be kind of our franchise timeline, where it was ongoing, sustained business. And that was normally built on the backs of brands like Buffy, Firefly, um, Edward Scissorhands, The Simpsons, Family Guy, Alien and Predator, you name it. That's the kind of stuff that had 24-7, 365 business. There was a moment in time in 2015 where from a theatrical perspective, things were starting to, we were looking at our calendar and we were like, it's a little light. Things are fallow. We, we don't have something that's from, a, from, a, from a, 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 a perspective where we can hang our hat on something at retail. We needed something bigger. So I started banging the drum about Alien Day. And I basically said in no uncertain terms, we need a rallying call for the brand that we can bring every single different part and component of the 20th universe, home entertainment, theatrical, if they want to come play, exhibition, consumer products, interactive. Everyone should rally behind this. And of course, May the 4th was my beta. You can't look at Star Wars as May the 4th and not say, that's an awesome idea. Holy smokes. How do you do that? How do you find, what's the thing that could rival that? Where's ours? What's our May the 4th? So Alien Day became the natural extension for that. And I just started working with all the various different stakeholders within the company to start putting together those ideas and those basic kind of building blocks of what became the 20, eventually the 2016 event of kicking off Alien Day to become what it is now. Um, and so that's kind of the genesis of it, but there was lots of little bits and pieces along the way of, you know, how to find all those right things and some, you know, different anecdotes to build it all. But that's kind of the general idea was to say, we needed something to get our licensees excited. We needed something to get 
retailers excited and we needed something to get the 20th company, 20th Century Fox excited about this core brand that for at the time, nearly 35 years had been an ongoing and sustained business that had a core massive fan group that just consistently grew year over year when new people found Covenant first, but consistently found Ridley's content, Jim Cameron's content, Finch's content, Jean Genet's content, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then how do you find the way to celebrate that on an ongoing basis? So what years were you spearheading all of this? So I was at Fox. So basically I was at Fox from, it's funny. I, we started planning in 2015 mm-hmm. um, because it was, there was a lot of moving parts. So we started planning in 2015, Alien Day launched in 2016 in April, of course. And then I actually left the company. I was there for Alien Day 2, but I left uh, 20th Century Fox and moved to my current position working at Lightstorm Entertainment in 2017. So I was there for two, the first two Alien Days. So I was there to kick it off and launch the inaugural version and, and set it up for success. And then I was there for part two, where we kind of kept it going for a little while. And then the my successors kind of continued on with the, with the rest of the the universe. It does seem, hearing, hearing your timeline, it does seem like it, it was carried on for a number of years, but it, it made, Jamie, correct me if I'm wrong, but when Disney bought 20th Century, there seems to have been a, a loss of leadership in that regard. Like we've had a couple of years now where there's, there's only been a little bit of um, content coming down from the actual company. Is that right, Jamie? Yeah, content and just really lack of interaction. There's just been everything that you guys were doing before Disney bought it out, bought out Fox, was this real integrated fan experience with the official Facebook account, the official Twitter, all of that's gone. So what um, we're saying is you need to come back to work for 20th century. <laughs> no. um, so I know that Alien is an incredibly high priority at Disney now in terms of a brand itself. And, you know, after this, after the unbelievable success of Prey, uh, so understandably, that movie, um, plus I believe Noah Hawley's Alien show, is think, I think is still in process. And there's a new Alien film has just been announced, I believe late, you know, early this year. Um, Disney understands now the power, I believe, of those science fiction brands from the 20th vault. Um, it's, I think it just took a little while for the, the kind of giant engine that is Disney to really understand what those, the the equity that was in those brands and the, the rabid consumer fan base that is excited for and passionate for those particular IP and how to service them appropriately, because it's not the same as Marvel it's not the same as Star Wars. It's not even the same as Avatar. There's a very different consumer that wants to go after essentially a very hard R, hard science fiction intellectual property that's primarily focused towards really adult collectors. And so you have, you know, there's no cartoons, there's no comp, there's no like little kids things. It's it's a very different, it's a very different proposition from something that from a Disney consumer products perspective, um, they've been doing in the past whether it's 
Thor or Black Panther or Mulan or, Mulan or Little Mermaid or, you know, Rise of Skywalker, what have you. So I, I think it just took, there's a little bit of time and there was a little bit of, a, I believe, a learning curve to say, prove this out. And Prey, I think, was the perfect moment to prove out that this really works, which we've known all along, but sometimes you actually have to do it and see it with your own eyes, as it were, to say, okay, this makes sense. How do we now support this on an ongoing basis? And, and I know the people that are working at 20th um, that are part of the, their franchise department that have that I've spoken to multiple times about the successes of Alien Day and what how it worked and what we did and some of the mechanics behind it and how we activated against those things. So it's not like I'm not talking to those same folks because they all know me and I all know them. Um, so uh, here's hoping that the future does hold something brighter for, you know, our perfect organism. To that point, what made Prey so successful wasn't, I mean, we'd had a Predator film released three years ago, four years ago, when was yeah. Shane Black's Predator? And that was, that did not go over so well. So I think it makes sense that Prey was a, a big moment, a big aha moment for Disney, because it wasn't like, oh, we, yeah, we're releasing another Predator film. It was a film that was given to someone who could actually tell a really good story. And when you given when you give someone the time and the space, not just someone, not just the director, but the writers and everyone involved, and then they crafted this film that was just beautifully made, wonderfully acted, gorgeously shot, and it really played into all of the potential in the Predator IP. And then Disney could see, oh, wow, this is successful. But we hadn't seen that in a long time. It's the same with Alien, really. Like, there hasn't really been a successful Alien film since 1986. Honestly. Right. I mean, three and four were good. That You know, I, I love them. Just like they're all my kids. I love all of the Alien films. As a whole, they make an amazing story world. Yeah, I, I um, back to your comment about Prey from that, from a storytelling perspective, it was spectacular. It's an unbelievable film. It's it's beautifully made. It's unbelievably told. It's beautiful to look at. Um, one of the a fun a fun little anecdote is prior to the Shane Black Predator film, which was Predator, just the Predator, right? Okay, so prior to the Predator, I was working on a potential derivative content plan with Titan Books. It never came to fruition, but the idea was going to be a series of novels of predators through time. And we were going to do Victorian England where the predator was actually going to be Jack the Ripper. Spoiler alert, it would have been nuts. Um, and then the other one that we actually had on tap, which I think I read somewhere in the trades was going to be gladiatorial, gladiatorial Rome where the predator was gonna be one of the combatants in, in the Colosseum. So we were gonna do a whole series of like predator through the ages stories that the movie Prey literally delivered on that exact perfect promise of what would that predator be like in that moment in time. And it could not have been more perfect. I just, I loved it. I loved it. It's interesting though, because Prey or whatever it was originally titled, was already in sort of the production line, as I understand, when Shane Black was making The Predator, and then the merger happened. And so Disney was handed 
a film ready to go. Like here's here's all the stuff ready to go. You you just have to green light it. They don't have that for Alien, which is probably why we've had a little more time. There wasn't mm -hmm. well, yeah. Ar arguably, Ridley would like to make more sequels or has ideas for sequels. He does. Yep. But at the same time, it sounds like Ridley was given the pitch by Fede Alvarez for for this film, and and Ridley was the one who said, "Hey, that's a pretty good idea." So it sort of has his blessing without necessarily being. We don't know what it is. We don't know if it's a continuation of anything that currently exists or if it's a whole new idea. Do you have any knowledge about this? I don't. The last kind of alien project that I was ever, that I, I had ever been, I had ever seen or been privy to uh, before I departed Fox was the, um, the Blomkamp story. So I had seen all that. Actually, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I take that back. I saw that, but back to Alien Day. One thing that did not happen during Alien Day in 2016 was there is sitting at Disney now at 20th, 10 episodes of a fully completed Netflix. Alien versus Predator anime series that I produced. I've it's done, it's in the can, it's mixed, it's finished. It was story, story, uh, ex produced and story cracked by, um, Eric Calderon and Dave Baker, two unbelievable, crazy talented guys. Uh, Dave Bixler was head of home entertainment at the time uh, from a creative perspective, and he ch he championed this for me. So again, back to our 2015 timeline. I was I was I still remain to this day, but I'm really I was good friends and and I consider a mentor. Um, uh, Sam Register. Sam Register is the head of all WB Animation. And Sam was in charge of all of the direct-to-DVD adaptations of the DC Comics programs. So, uh, you know, um, King, Kingdom Come, Gotham by Gaslight, you know, Final uh, First Flight, you know, the Wonder Woman, whatever. All the direct-to-streaming direct now, or direct-to-DVD, Warner Brothers Animation was, came out of Sam's uh, division. And I thought those were amazing. I was like, this, this right here, this is what's up. Uh, this is a great business model. Um, in a previous life, when I worked at Hasbro, I did a direct-to-DVD Action Man program, and that also worked too. So I was like, that's cool. We can do this. And I have a budget, and it's not super expensive. You can do this on the cheap. And so while I was setting up Alien Day and starting to lay the pieces in place, I went to the head of our division. Uh, his name was Jeffrey Godsick. He ran consumer products at the time. And I said, hey, listen, I want to pitch this idea of a direct-to-DVD alien and or alien predator or and or predator animation that we, the consumer products division, can sell against. Let us be the masters of our own destiny rather than waiting for theatrical whenever a movie decides to come out. Because at this time, Covenant was still nascent and The Predator had not happened yet. So it was kind of, again, the brands weren't doing anything at the moment. It was still open season for our sci-fi brands. So he was like, yeah, it's a great idea. Go. So I went to uh, Home Entertainment and I and the head, um, the, the woman who was in charge of marketing, her name was Rio Cyrus, absolute genius. And production, um, uh, Dave Bixler, we, I pitched them. And I said, listen, hey, we own 
nearly 30 years of comic book content of Alien and Predator and AVP. No rights, no strings. Dark Horse did an amazing job, but it's all Circle C, 2000 whatever, 20th Century Fox. It's ours to do with as we please. Why don't we adapt the original AVP comic book series with Machiko and Broken Tusk? Let's just do that. Here's your storyboard. Here it is right here. It's done. It's, it's finished. Like, just take this and go make that into an animated movie. Then we can use that as a springboard for consumer products. Everyone's like, that's a pretty cool idea. Let's run the numbers. So another producer named Tom, who worked uh, under Dave, we all ran the numbers and they were like, yeah, this could work. Neat. Let's try it. So they went out and they found an, um, I, I believe it was, it wasn't Gonzo. I have to think of the name of the production house. I'll get back to you on that. I forget. But it was this amazing production house in Japan. Uh, they had actually done some work for Studio Ghibli and some other stuff. Uh, but they bid it out. They found this company that wanted to do it. They were like, great, you're in. But the director who they brought on board said, this is cool. And I'm down. And he happened to be a really good director. He had worked on a Halo piece for one of the Halo for, um, it was a Halo kind of like into the Animatrix series. It was like multiple small Halo. So he'd done that. But he also did a Captain Harlock movie. It was beautiful. He goes, I have this, I have another idea. Can I do my own thing? So we're like, well, what do you got? So this director comes back and he pitches us a whole new story, a brand new story. And so um, myself as kind of keeper of the canon, plus we bring in Dave Baker and Eric Calderon. We bring them in as kind of like, you know, Western animation uh, consultants and producers. We all kind of sit down and we craft the story. When we crack the idea, and we literally find, I literally find a place within our established canon. I put it way deep future, kind of like post AVP, post um, post Alien 4. Like it's future, deep future stuff where we said this won't compete with anything that's happening in our core timeline. So if you ever want to do another movie or tell any other stories on Earth, we're all square. Like it's not going to, it won't overlap. Nothing will happen. Finally, we all come to an agreement. Everyone says, cool. We sign, we green light it and we go. We're making 10 episodes. It was going to be released as three direct-to-DVD and or streaming movies here in the West, 10 episodes on Japan television. This was going to be initially released on Alien Day in 2016. That was the plan. Now, what happened was, as we were going forward, Ridley came back to Fox and said, I want to make another Alien movie. This was going to be Covenant. And Shane came and said, I want to make a Predator movie, which was going to be the Predator. AVP as a brand was something that was frowned upon at the time at Fox because those movies underperformed. But meanwhile, the intellectual property, just those words put together, Alien versus Predator, from a consumer products and a publishing perspective, still worked. Everyone just understood it was like chocolate and peanut butter. I want to put these two things together and they're awesome together. So that was how I pitched it. So the idea was we wanted to have this launch on Alien Day and we were right up to the last minute. We were still working on that. We Netflix was interested. So was Hulu. We actually had distribution ready to go. But because the larger studio had these two feature films utilizing the macro alien and predator intellectual properties, the animation got backburnered 
And they said, we'll revisit this at another time. Now that was fine. We, and I had deals signed. NECA was developing. Titan was working on an art book and a novel. And Dark Horse was working on a comic book series. Those were all in process. Somewhere in the world, there is stuff that was being done. Someone has pictures. Anywho, so that kind of, that was going to be one of the big driving forces behind Alien Day 2016 was going to be the announcement of all new Alien and Predator content. Luckily, we had enough volume of stuff in 2016, inclusive of the screenings of Aliens, inclusive of the bringing back of talent like Carrie Henn and um, uh, Jeanette Vasquez, uh, Vasquez, Jeanette Goldstein. I saw your, I, you see, it's, it's really, she is Vasquez, Jeanette Goldstein. Let's rock! And uh, working with Mondo and working with Alamo Draft House and bringing the Reebok Stompers back into actual real production, not bootleg. They were really licensed this time. And Dark Horse plus Insight plus NECA. You know, we had enough that there was enough noise that we could make an impact in the community. What we ended up doing is we ended up pivoting to working with uh, the folks over at G4 and Nerdist to make our Twitter contest more of our media opportunity than the, um, than the announcement of the new animation. And that actually ended up working really well because it, you know, it was 24 hours of the contest plus the, you know, the giveaways and we had all that stuff. So that ended up really driving a lot of clicks and a lot of engagement. Question about that. Why hasn't that film, those episodes seen a lot of day yet? Do you know? I mean, I know that you don't work for the company anymore, but I would imagine like they have this stuff ready to go. And, but I also know at the same time, we're back in that situation where there's licensed alien stuff coming out. There's predator things that are coming out um, and they seem to work better on their own than they do together at least. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how Disney wants to, to your point, does Disney want to make AVP as a statement when they have an alien thing and a predator thing? Do they want to muddy the waters as it were with something that is essentially disconnected entirely from anything else? So one day this, you know, crazy artifact might make its way into the world. And honestly, it could be released right now with zero context, and it's just a really fun animated series. It's got xenomorphs. It's got awesome predators. One of the predators is a cyborg and has a fully cybernetic arm and a cybernetic mandible. It's super rad. One dude we called Bone because all of his weapons were made out of giant tusks. He was so cool. Um, but yeah, it's it was a it's a great series. But you know, one day maybe it's you know as as Disney's streaming world, they're kind of the, the their streaming ecosystem grows and evolves and changes. Uh, maybe there is a place on Hulu, or there's a place on you know a, kind of um, a, a more age gated Disney Plus where they can put this thing up. Like there might be a moment in time when that's real and that happens. But you know the folks who are running those brands know all about it. They're well aware that this thing exists. It, I think it's just going to be a question of timing and, and when there's an appetite for something of this ilk. I, I hope one day it does come out because it really is a, it really is a, it was a fun project to work on.
Prometheus was pretty divisive. What were your thoughts at the time on making the films work together in a way, I guess? Prometheus <laughs> was never supposed to be an alien film. Never, it was not pitched as part of the alien franchise at all. It was basically just supposed to be an idea about the genesis of man and man's hubris and gods and monsters, all this stuff. But as it went on, Ridley just added all of it, all this stuff inside it became alieny. You had the, you know, you had the the chest burster at the end after um the gal gets the surgery where she pulls out the thing and it becomes the squid and then the squid goes on to the engineer and it's the end it's literally the engineer who's on LV426 and you see the ship and you see the thing like all this stuff but it that basically just kind of evolved it was at, and that was after the Lindelof the Lindelof script was an alien movie and then Ridley took a left and then it came back so after that happened and then after and then after, I think that was LV2, was 426-232 or 23-something? Two, two, what was it? 223? 223, two, two, yeah. Right. So once we were able to, once I went and I got 223 approved in Fire and Stone to actually be literally connective to our world, it mm. is fully an alien prequel. Then Ridley was like, yep, we're going to double down and we're going in that world. Now that direction's our direction. And so it became alien. And in fact, don't know if it actually happened, but I was in many, many meetings where home entertainment was looking to find the most efficient way to rebrand every single piece of media out there into alien colon Prometheus, because the second movie was going to be alien colon covenant. And then the third one was going to be alien colon destiny. That was the third film was going to be called destiny. And they were all the names of spaceships. Right. So Destiny was going to be the finale. But the, and that one, strangely, I was, again, I was having, I got kind of agita about that one because that one was going to basically take you an end right at where the Nostromo was going to find essentially 426. But I was having trouble rectifying from a canonical standpoint how the engineer was going to be fossilized Mm. by that time in the covenant timeline, because I don't remember what year covenant takes place, but it was very close. It was like 40 years or like 50 years prior to alien. And I, and I didn't know if there was going to be enough time in the timeline for Ripley to be born, her to have a career, become a warrant officer, the ship to be fossilized on 426 and then them finding it prior to destiny coming in that middle section. So it was, so it, it, it like they were playing, like it was going to play fast and loose with the canonical timeline. And it was going to be hard to like rectify all of that stuff again, but whatever. Yeah. There's a 12 window, a 12 year window between covenant and classic alien. And it's, it yeah. And that's, really again, that's a, it was a hard thing to figure out to be like, how did that like, how did that ship get there? And how did that guy, like, where did, where did these xenomorphs come from? And I had a, uh, I had a great idea that I had pitched out to the production folks that never panned because Ridley was working on it. But I always imagined that at the end of destiny, if they had done it, or the, even at the end of covenant, because it could have worked the chest burster, the, the face hugger would attach itself to David. 
And because David had a fixation on his father, his parent, he would become a parent of the first biomechanical xenomorph because all the xenomorphs in covenant were purely organic beings. They were not the biomechanical beings that you meet in alien. Mm -hmm. So I, I was like, wouldn't that be a fun twist? Because he's always looking to create the perfect organism. He's trying to create that thing. Wouldn't it, if it came from me, be perfect? But it never played. But I was, I always thought that was a great kind of like head cannony thing if we ever moved in the forward in the future. But, uh, you know, it went into the Fox production ether. I'm curious, Foxes, at the time when you were involved, your reaction uh, in terms of Fox's reaction to how us as fans were reacting to Alien Day and the kind of uh, input that we were giving and uh, our own excitement. But before you answer that question, I'm curious how Christian alluded to this a little bit, but so you had Prometheus come out. And mm -hmm. it made some money. It didn't do well. It didn't do great. It made a little bit of money. It was beautiful to look at. Um, how how was that performance informing the way forward for you guys? So like, two questions. So I'll start with the Prometheus one. Prometheus was marketed at the time as a tentpole feature film. It was, you know, a mega brand at the time. It was a, a new movie made by Ridley Scott that once the movie was coming to theaters was essentially destined to be part of the Alien franchise. It was unsaid, but it was. So we had a few core licensees that got behind it, like NECA and a few other people that really supported it at the time. We had a few other folks support it after the fact. But at the moment, it was supported by a very small consumer products program uh, it wasn't huge by any stretch of the imagination because it was it was plainly collector. It was R-rated. You weren't really going after a mass market audience anyway. So it did what it did. But at the same time, it didn't dilute or take any of the shine off of core alien or predator or AVP at all. It just became additive to the larger core storyline. When from a publishing perspective, I was able to say, hey, we're going to do this. And Dark Horse was like, we're going to do this. And we brought all the worlds together. It just became one piece of the larger puzzle. It became like Alien 3. It became like Resurrection. It was just part of Alien. Now, when I was at Fox, when I was writing deals to licensees, dear toy company X, I'm going to write, I'm going to give you the Alien license. Alien was an umbrella deal that included Alien, Aliens, Alien 3, Resurrection, plus video games, plus, 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 all those things. And I would normally just throw in Prometheus in there too, because Prometheus ended up becoming part of the Alien franchise. That's how we looked at it. Covenant ended up being the same way too. So it just became one, it became part of the, the kind of the larger dialogue of the Alien mythos. So it never really, it didn't hurt it. It just helped build out more tools, more toys in the toy box, as it were, for anybody that wanted to go down that road. So that's so so it was it was fine. It, it, you know, not, it ended up just adding more to to play with. So it was great. Now, in terms of fandom, Alien Day happens, and it is, and I, I, I'm not tooting my own horn, 
it was a success. The company felt that. I came into work the next day and I'd stayed up the whole night to watch the Twitter thing to make sure that it all went off without a hitch. So I was total hot mess. Um, I roll in the next day and we had an all hands meeting. And like I said earlier, the president of our division, his name was Jeffrey Godsick. He was the, he had come from theatrical partnerships and promotions. So he had been at Fox for a very long time. He worked on Moulin Rouge and he had worked on Anastasia. And he, I mean, he'd been a lifer at Fox and he moved over and did CP for a long time. And he basically, you know, he'd been into all these various, you know, big roles. And he said in front of the whole group, he was like, Josh, in my tenure here at Fox, never has the company come together like it did for Alien Day, ever. Because every division participated. Theatrical exhibition participated. Home entertainment participated. Digital. Home CP. We all played together and we all played nice and it actually worked. And the sales results of all of the exclusives, all of the merch, all of the Twitter metrics, all of the Facebook metrics, all of it proved out the fact that this brand meant something to a much larger group of people than the quote unquote collected 10,000 nerds that just gave that, that were out there somewhere buying these things. You know, this proved that this was Comic-Con for us. This was, you know, 200, 500 of your thousand of your closest friends cared about this thing. And it actually juiced the brand in an incredible way. We saw a remarkable uptick in all of our consumer products and our licensees came back and said, this was an incredible success. Everybody saw a rise, like everybody across the board, apparel, accessories, footwear, toy, comic, content, you name it. This was something that kind of like, this was, this was the metaphorical tide that rose all that lifted all ships so it was great it was it was it was really fun and it was i mean we were doing something that we loved it was a lot of fun and we we kind of having it go off that a hitch was actually pretty remarkable not gonna lie it's pretty wild Now, of course, we're recording this before actual Alien Day, but would you want to hazard any guesses about how, with with the Holly series in, in pre-production and the Fede Alvarez film filming right now, do you think we're going to see something today? I would love it. I know that the, um, I know that Alien as a franchise is one of the really key core brands at Disney now. They like Like we talked about earlier, they are they really understand the power of these science, these classic science fiction brands that have worldwide reach. Uh, so, you know, I really, and I know the folks over at the 20th, the 20th team who is running consumer products and who's in charge of that franchise, they're well aware of the previous successes of Alien Day, just holistically. They understand the power that that holds. Um, so I really, I'm hopeful that Disney moves forward and really does celebrate this, you know, classic, unbelievable sci-fi intellectual property because it has had lasting and staying power 
for over 40 years now. Um, and it continues to create new and exciting opportunities from a television perspective, a streaming perspective, and a, and a feature film perspective. There are amazing stories to tell, and these new filmmakers are proving that out. And there's an appetite for it. So I'm really I'm hopeful that Disney does something because there's no downside. That's really the best part. There's no downside to this. And with Disney's success of May the 4th, you know, what they've shown out with what they could do with Star Wars when they rally behind one of their IP, there's something to be said for joining forces with your partners, with retail, with the, with the, the kind of fandom at large to celebrate because that only pays dividends down the road. In terms of fandom at large, um, was Fox at that time aware, uh, and this is something that we talk about on our show all the time, but it's something that we talk about as fans in terms of, and I use this term not lightly, but we use the term PTSD because there hasn't really been a, an alien film to rally everyone, arguably since 1986. Was Fox aware that yes, okay, this is a big brand and it's sustainable and uh, we have a lot of people who can make Alien Day a good day, but at the same time, the element in the room is there hasn't been a good film made, even though like we love Alien 3, not so much Alien Resurrection, but there's love for all of these things, but also the knowledge that a lot of them aren't that good. Um, was that ever something that like, hey, we need a hit, we need, we need a good film, or was it just this machine was running, Ridley Scott's back in involved it is what it is i want to say it's a little bit of six of one half a dozen of the other so yes i i think that 20th as a as a company at the time wanted nothing more than to have those brands be successful and reinvigorate that those as franchises you know at that time if you think about it think about it at the time 2016 kingsman was popping that was becoming a franchise and that was on fire. You had, you were neck deep in the X-Men brands. Now, of course, granted those weren't 20th owned and operated brands, but they were 20th films and they were doing gangbusters at the, at, you know, at, at the box office. So having a kind of a, a homegrown action adventure film that was wholly owned by 20th would be something that yes, the studio wanted that to be successful in no way, shape, size, or form. So thinking, here is Shane Black. He's an incredible content creator. He's an amazing writer, amazing director. So of course, they're going to say, yeah, what's your vision? And they were hopeful that that was going to be the reinvigorating moment for Predator as a brand to say, we're putting a, we're drawing a line in the sand. Here's this new film, and that's going to be kind of the kickoff to our new universe. Um Ridley's trilogy that was going to be kind of the the kickstart to that but there was you know kind of diminishing returns on some of those and it ended up not, and the third one didn't come to fruition because Ridley was doing other projects but that was supposed to be that world of course the Disney acquisition kind of happened right then at that moment and that unfortunately derailed some of those things and changed the direction of where those brands were going because as we talked about earlier in the in the, in the podcast, finding out and figuring out what you have, what it is, how to manage, own, and operate that thing at a scalable level between what Fox was and what Disney was, Disney is, is a, two wholly different propositions. They're very different studios. 
and Fox was run one way and Disney is run a different way and trying to marry those two things together just took some time. So I do believe Fox did did have the best intentions um, for our, our, you know, our favorite sci-fi brands. It was just, um, it was a timing issue really with the Disney thing, but it was also just trying to find the right story to tell. And, and I think now like we've talked about with Prey um, and hopefully the new alien content is going to be the, the right, you know, the next best step forward to kind of, again, reignite that theatrically. As someone who dresses up every year for alien day and, you know, flies my geek flag, and who's, I have a bookshelf behind me that is overloaded with books that you are responsible for because you were the guy at that time. I'm realizing like, I'll, I'll find your name in those books. I just want to thank you. This, you know, this has been really, really fun for many years. It's something that brings fans together, even when fandom is really divided. And I also love that it comes before May the 4th, that we get ours first. That's really cool. So as we're, <laughs> as we're closing out, I just wanted to say that it, it means so much to me. So First and foremost, I'm a huge fan, full stop. Um, I'm, I went, uh, my, my dad, who just recently passed away, he, when, we, when I was a kid, one of our shared passions, one of the things that we loved to do was go to the movies. And we went to the movies almost every weekend. That was, a, that was our thing. Comic book store, movies, we nerded out. Um, that's just, you know, that was my childhood education. I'll, I have the most vivid memory of going to the Claremont Theater in Montclair, New Jersey in summer of 1986. I'm 10 years old and us seeing aliens in the theater. That movie blew my brains out of the back of my head. It was awesome and it was terrifying and it was scary and it was rad and it had monsters and it had soldiers. And I was like, this is awesome. I don't remember if I had seen Alien before or after, because that was a straight up horror film, but Aliens was a war epic. So it was, you know, two very different things. But that was a very formative part of my kind of sci-fi, fantasy, comic book education as a kid. And that had stayed with me my whole life. So I had worked on, you know, and in my career, I've worked on Transformers. I've worked on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I've worked on Halo stuff. I've done Avatar now. Uh, but when I got to Fox and I got to play in the Alien Sandbox, that was one of the brightest spots of my career. Alien Day being one of the highlights, top five at the very least of being able to pull together a now recognized pop culture holiday globally for one of the most epic and long lasting science fiction franchises franchises has been an absolute honor and a pleasure. And you are sincerely welcome because I'm just as happy that I was able to be a part of that to bring that to the fandom because I wanted it myself. I wanted it. I wanted to celebrate alien and Aliens, and Alien 3, and Alien Resurrection, and all the things that came in between, because they are they are great movies, and they are great stories, and they are filled with amazing characters, and they are filled with aspirational people, and, you know, cool messages, and great, like, it is, it is a murderer's row of some of the best of the best of the best in that business. 
And there's there was no better way for me to show that to the fandom in the position that I was in than to do than than to make Alien Day a reality. Yes, as Christian said, I am always grateful. Uh, Alien Day is the highlight for us as a show, um, as a podcast. Uh, we we work on content all year round to release on Alien Day is something that really brings us together. And the Alien fandom is a fandom like no other, really. It's not it's not like Star Wars fandom. It's not like, you know, Harry Potter. It's really something special and singular. And we all get along pretty well, too. Even yeah. though even though we, there are people who might hate one movie and love another movie, we can come together and talk about our love for this IP in a way that um, other fandoms just can't enjoy. So on my behalf as well, thank you so much uh, for Pleasure all that you did well. and uh, for, yeah, just kind of the legacy of alien day as of course today is alien day and of course we're recording this before alien day and i know everyone is appreciative right on right on thank you so much for coming on josh thank you so much for having me this has been an absolute pleasure gentlemen and happy alien day everybody uh and uh you know keep celebrating 426